was the rock. And he said that we too are like living stones being built together into a spiritual house. Some of you actually even sent me pictures of your own stones this week. You might remember last Sunday I was trying to juggle three of them. Very awkward. (laughs) But we got through it. And uh, today we push on. I actually would like to read a, a longer section of 1 Peter, and this is the end of the letter that Peter wrote. So beginning in chapter 4, at verse 12, this is God's word. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So maybe you thought that you have had a a difficult week. 
And that may be. But Peter reminds us that you are not alone. And all around us, we look and we see that, indeed, we are not alone, that many have been struggling. I saw a lost pet notice this week on a telephone pole right here in, uh, in Cottonwood Heights. So I stopped and decided to read it. Don't usually do that, but did this time. There was a montage on the top of the flyer of three photos of the same cat, and name was Kitty Girl. One photo resting, one photo sitting, one photo eating. (laughs) Just in case you happen to see her someplace, and she's either resting, sitting, or eating, you'll recognize Kitty Girl. She's out there someplace. And what followed on this flyer was a a, a very in-depth description not only of her physical appearance, clipped right ear, blue-eyed, fluffy, white, cream, gray, long-haired Siamese mix, (laughs) a cat. (laughs) But it also described her emotional and her intellectual traits. (laughs) Here's what I read. She's lost, confused. She's affectionate and likely hungry and wary of strangers, but responds to affection or to patient kindness. How do they know all that? Not to be cynical, but isn't that every cat you've ever known? (laughs) Wary, hungry, sometimes affectionate. They want nothing to do with you until dinner time. And then, and then they allow you to pet them. But this feline comes with a twist. The poster went on to say, our, this is a quote, our sweet kitty escaped while visiting the animal hospital. <laughs> now, I'm not naming names here, but that has to be a bad day for a vet. <laughs> right, Gary? <laughs> Katie? <laughs> When someone's beloved kitty girl checks herself out of the animal hospital and goes on the lamb, that's a bad day. At the bottom of the flyer were three phone numbers. I assume two were the owners, but one was the animal hospital that desperately is looking for a little kitty girl, hoping to find her. These are hard days for many. Many are sensing some sense of being lost and confused. Still others are very much ready to escape, maybe escape back to real life. Karen Pence, the vice president's wife, do we call her the second lady? I'm not not real sure. She's been coordinating a, a mental health response to the pandemic. And this week she said it's okay to not be okay. And she released all sorts of data which points to the the underbelly of grief and stress and loss that many are experiencing amid lives that have shifted um, and losses that have been sustained. She quoted a statistic that said at least a third of Americans are feeling nervous, depressed, lonely, 
or hopeless at least one day in the past week. So I read all of that the other day, and honestly, my first response with the newspaper in my lap was not one of great alarm or significant empathy, not to be cynical, but I think I even said, well, that's, that's just life, right? One day a week to feel a little lost, perhaps hopeless, a little nervous or depressed. You'd expect more maybe from a pastor, <laughs> a little more compassion, pastor, come on. But life, life is full of these transitions, right? Adapting to new realities, to hardships, to ups and downs. Scott Peck, the best-selling author some years ago, that book that he released long ago, The Road Less Traveled, Remember the opening line, the very first page? First sentence, life is difficult. The pathos of life. It comes in a variety pack. All flavors, all dynamics, all sorts of reasons to become hopeless or in a place of feeling confused and lost. Peter's short letter is primarily, I believe, an encouragement to not lose hope when trouble rises up against us or in our lives. It's like someone once said that joy is always in spite of, always in spite of. Perhaps the line that jumped off the page for you today, it did for me, was the first line, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Joy is always in spite of. That's Peter's worldview. He, he, he's not really speaking of lost kittens either. He's, he's speaking of his own life. He's speaking right out of his own history. His view is as a seasoned warrior for Christ looking back on, on what it has all meant for him. These are Peter's valedictory words for himself, for, for God's people. Peter's there late in his life in Rome, near the end of his days, soon to be martyred for his steadfast heart to follow Christ. The heat of the emperor Nero is close He's looking back on his life. This is no longer the, the up-and-down disciple we, we saw earlier in the Gospels. This wavering, you know, in heart and in allegiance. That's not this Peter. No, this is the all-grown-up Peter. The head of the church, the, the rock that Jesus imagined. Who took to heart the words that Jesus used when he reinstalled him to ministry. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my flock. And he did. All those years, caring for the church, those people had, had been his life's work. And now he's coming to a close, to an end. And we, we find here in these words we read this morning, what matters most to him? What does he learn? What is he leaning into? 
as he looks back on himself, but also looks forward for the followers of Christ, for the church. It seems most of all Peter hopes they'll be steady, that they'll be courageous, that they'll stand. I like to see, I guess I'm breaking this down like this today. I see four keys for staying steady in our lives, in our faith, in our walk with God. One is the participation of Jesus at the very center of our lives. Two is this idea of the praiseworthiness of bearing his name. And three, the the hard predicament of power for the church. And finally, Peter seems to say something about the, the posture of steadfast faith, what that looks like. The participation of Jesus in our lives, the praiseworthiness of bearing his name, the predicament of power and the posture of steadfast faith. You know how quickly Peter dispels the notion that this life might be easy and carefree. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's listened to Jesus speak of suffering as a very common thread for his followers. But Peter never saw the idea of suffering as a a disqualifying event, as if some injury will, will take a believer out of the game if maybe even more, it puts us into the game. Peter uses the word suffering almost always in in relation to the word glory. If you look back at that passage we read, it's each sentence where he mentions suffering, it, it ends with the word glory. It leads to it. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We don't lose out. The hard parts of life are balanced, even more than balanced, by the glory of Christ. With Peter, it's always a suffering Christ and a glorified Christ. The two are are never divorced from each other. Jesus is is not an ethereal, spiritual Christ. But Jesus is real for Peter. He's physical. He's he's the body and blood in in the Lord's Supper. He's the, the physical, bodily Christ who knows us, knows our lives, understands us, even as he is also alive in glory. Even also as he's victorious over death, he doesn't lose that physical understanding of our lives. The Apostle Paul would write of this throughout all his letters, always with the line, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The physical Christ who knows you and understands you. That's the key, I think, for for me, for the church, for this church, I hope, for every church, the participation of Jesus at the center of our lives. You know, I still remember being a 12, 13-year-old boy, a little bit like a lost kitten, to be honest, (laughs) a little bit lost, 
a lot a bit hungry. <laughs> but all that confusion and sense of wanting sometimes just to run away like a nervous kitten. But there was also deep within a, a, a notion of, of being watched over by the Spirit of God, by Jesus himself. All those Bible stories from Sunday school years spoke of Jesus always coming alongside of people. He did life with them. He did not avoid the hard stuff of this world. He was, he was not a spiritual Jesus, but a very physical Jesus. And I think that's what attracted me, first of all, to him. He was indeed Emmanuel, God with us. I was once asked in a job interview, a pastor search situation, I was asked that question about, well, what's your favorite Bible story? Not to be cynical, but I knew where they were going with this. <laughs> they wanted to know what I thought about God, what my view of God might be as I began, perhaps, to pastor that church. What, what do you hold in the center of who you are? What's the image that, of God that, that drives you and holds you? The first thing that popped in my mind was the story I went with Jesus in a storm at sea in the, in the back of the boat, asleep, while his disciples were you know, fretful, were afraid with fear, deep fear, with a storm that was raging all around them. And there was Jesus in Mark's gospel says, asleep in the stern of the boat on a pillow. <laughs> How could he? And I just love that image. Physically with them, yet asleep. Because, well, he's more than just physical. He is God. Fully man, fully God. With us always. May that bond with the physical Christ who cares for you, may it be firm. And may we hold steadfast to a view of God such as that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How, you know, how strange it is that Peter does not launch into a theological defense for suffering here. Doesn't try to explain it away. There's, there's no theory in 1 Peter of why there's a fiery ordeal. Why suffering happens even to good people. He doesn't write that book. So he does not explain suffering. Peter says it just is. And he seems to mention two types of suffering. One that has to do with, uh, that comes upon us because of Christ and our attachment to him. And then another type, general suffering. And he says that it's not something strange that happens to us, but it's rather normal. In fact, whether it's faith-based or Otherwise, suffering comes to all. And he said that if we suffer because we carry the name of Jesus, he says, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. There's a praiseworthiness to bearing that name. A praiseworthiness that is easy to lose when life gets in the way. Well, Peter's encouragement, I think, is mostly about holding on to yourself. 
while living in what can seem like another world. You know, at times I've wondered if I, it, we, I, we empathize too much with the world around us. We assimilate maybe too much to it. We can take the beautiful example of Jesus coming into the world, embracing him as one of us, the God in the flesh. And it's possible to lose ourselves in the process of kind of incarnating ourselves into the world. You know, that embrace, embrace it all. Yet Jesus, while being fully man, he remained fully God, did not lose himself in the world. And I think Peter wants us also not to lose ourselves in the world. He reminds his friends to stay steadfast. Steadfast to the one who sleeps in the back of the boat, but quiets the storm that rages around us. Steadfast to the one who is our refuge and our strength. Hold on to that self too. Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. I'm so glad for Mount Olympus these days to have a pastor like Chris Pritchett a month out. (laughs) We've been emailing a little bit back and forth over these last few weeks, getting ready for this transition. And let me just say, he is so anxious to be with you and to be a part of you, uh, just to know you, to join with you in this community of faith. Um, it's just fun to see his, his excitement, his energy to become a part of Mount Olympus Church, to start serving and caring for you and you for him. Um, got nothing but just excitement and gratitude for how this process has all come together and you have a, a pastor coming, a, a shepherd who is coming to care for God's flock that will be under his care. That's a great verse for pastors. <laughs> but you know, it was really intended for all of us, not just for Chris, but for all of us who are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. Did you hear what Peter said? He said, to all the elders. Do you know the Greek word for elder? Presbyteros. To all you Presbyterians, (laughs) take care of the flock under your care. He seems to say that there is for us something meaningful to do together, to care for each other. But there is oftentimes a problem with that, what I've called the predicament of power. (laughs) And if we're not alert to it, it can prowl around like a a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I read this text to Cindy yesterday just to kind of double check and see, am, am am I saying this right? Am I getting the right understanding on this? She's always been my sort of check on sermons, and I appreciate that. She said, man, I've always liked 
that image of the prowling lion that we need to be alert to. Me? I think I like kitty girl. (laughs) That other cat, lost, confused, hungry. (laughs) What is this predicament that Peter wants us to stay alert to? He says, be eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Is that the lion that prowls around, that that danger of power of under-shepherds forgetting who they really are and who they really belong to? Peter's quick to say there's, there's only one chief shepherd. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you, he says. It all rests on him and not on us. Even so, we we are to be in each other's lives and care for one another, but we are to resist all that top-down power stuff. (laughs) Peter said that we are to let humility be the only garment that we wear. Put it on. Put on humility toward one another. Humility simply sees the predicament of the, of the other more clearly. We see each other, and it leads us to care for one another. Because he knows that power is dangerous. And so maybe we pray every day, Lord, humble, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and, and he'll, he will lift you up. Peter says, truly I say to you, or Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever, however, humbles him or herself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's perhaps the greatest danger that lurks in every relationship, in every community of faith, in every heart that predicament of power and pride. C.S. Lewis might be maybe best known for a line about humility. You know the line where he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I find that so helpful to remember. But he also wrote like Peter wrote of the danger that lurks in the church. Lewis also said, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Lewis, Peter, they saw this idea of power or pride as a, as a virus <laughs> that just spreads. And, and in some cases, there's hardly a vaccine available. But if there is a vaccine, it's to put on a change of clothes, put on humility toward one another, love one another as God in Christ loves you. This work of love is lifelong. 
and requires a daily submission of self to the chief shepherd. And we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions along the way, don't we? Am I seeing others still? Is my vision okay? Is my heart open to other people? Is my life mostly about me? Am I losing my real self in self-consummation? Humble me in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Or Peter says, resist, (laughs) resist, resist, resist the self, the prowling pride of self that the possibility of love may survive, may grow, may be strong in this place. Stand there, Peter says. Stand there with the chief shepherd, the one who laid aside his power to take up a cross, to deny himself, and to give his life as a ransom for many Stand there with him as he stands here with you. Have this posture of steadfast faith that where Christ is, you are. Stand there. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Bring your whole self, Peter says, to the God of all grace and and just stand there where he can care for you. Helmut Tillichie, a theologian of the last century, once said that there's no limit to what we are to say or what we are to pray. We are to bring our whole self with all our complexities to God. Cast all your anxieties, all your cares. Peter kind of does a word play there because the real word that he uses for anxieties is cares. Cast all your cares on him who cares. (laughs) I think he wants us to understand that. That our cares become God's cares. Lost, confused, sometimes even trying to escape. Clipped ear, wary of strangers. Responds to affection, but super hungry. (laughs) problematic you, problematic me. We are sufferers. Yet know and believe that suffering always is companioned with the glory of God in Christ, the one who's been revealed in the resurrection. The one who's both human yet divine, who cares for you. Peter, (laughs) he's been casting all his life. That's where Jesus found him, casting his net. He's been casting all his life, casting out the word of God that will make you fishers of people, he was told. Casting a word of imperishable hope to a people who were troubled and beleaguered And now, he says, cast your whole life, all of you, all your cares on him who 
cares for you. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, he'll restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. We'll stand there. We'll stand there. Stay steadfast, my friends. Stay steadfast. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, you are the great God who has entered into this creation that you have made, that you have given. You came in the form of your own dear son, the person of Jesus Christ. Born in Bethlehem, died in Jerusalem, raised to life to live forever in glory. In him we put our trust and to him we cast all our cares because he cares for us. In his name we pray, amen.